and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, do you know what time it is? It is time to bust out the pink drinks and discuss out of the frying pan into the peak gay. How gay is this episode? Let me count the ways. We have the handmade birthday cards Emily lovingly crafted for Allison. We have not one, but two Allie flashbacks. We have the introduction of Shauna Costume Shop Fring, a gay character who is not romantically interested in Emily. We have Spencer unraveling, riding a bike, and torpedoing the Presria romance. Presria himself lives down to our lowest expectations of him uh, as the fake sun bomb detonates thanks to A. And then, then we have Hannah being raspberry flirtinied and being at the center of some serious drama at the gay bar. Plus, we have Ashley responding with grace to what she thinks is Hannah's coming out. This is PLL at its wacky, queer best. What a treat. Oh, totally, totally agree. This is, I think, one span a kiss shy of my perfect episode. (laughs) (laughs) There, it's just, it's like just when this episode can't get any better, Pam and Barry interact. Like, there's so many delights in this episode. I, um, I was, I knew that this, like, post Tobey reveal was going to bring some good stuff. I forgot just how excellent this first sort of post Tobey reveal episode is. There's really great stuff for each liar, which we were just talking about beforehand. It feels like in season three, it hasn't always been a guarantee that there'll be good stuff for every liar, especially Emily and Aria often get a little bit on the back burner, but there's great stuff for both of them. There's This is the rare PLO episode that I feel like has a really great balance of forward plot momentum and emotional processing and sort of good character work for the the liars, which is um, something that increasingly as the show goes on feels like less and less. Um, it isn't overcrowded by the boyfriends, which is fantastic. Um, it's just a really, really good episode. And it's also like just uh, like some of the funniest moments of season three and some of the most devastating. I mean, there is so much packed into this episode. Um, it's a wild, wild ride. It's also, it's also, I just want to say, um, it's a, it's a very high school light episode, which I think is, is interesting because that's going to become truer and truer as the show goes on. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting to me how this is the first Tobey episode, uh, like the Tobey reveal episode. And I think it's so amazing. Like, it's always such a breath of fresh air when you get an Aria episode where she's not just trapped under Prezra's thumb. Uh, And this is really an episode that lets Spencer, like, have much more free reign as a character uh, than she generally does when she's trying to make it work with Toby. So I think, you know, it's painful to watch her journey here at a lot of points, but um, I just feel like the character work is much more interesting. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, we'll have so much to say about what Spencer's going through in this episode, but 
this is, yeah, this is probably um, one of the most fascinating Spencer episodes so far. And it's just going to continue. And I was really thinking about kind of season three as a whole and how, you know, earlier in um, earlier in season three, there was that episode where uh, Spencer found out that Garrett might go free for the murders. And it the episode ends with Spencer running upstairs and screaming into that pillow. I don't remember which episode that was, but it was somewhere sort of midpoint of 3A, I think. And um, it really feels like, you know, that was, that was sort of the canary in the coal mine for what we're seeing Spencer, where we're seeing Spencer here, like just her complete, um, her complete begin the beginning of this incredible breakdown that she's going to go through. Yeah. And we see her working really hard to push the other liars away, which becomes interesting as the liars kind of reconfigure themselves without Spencer in the role of general. Uh, And also, Uh, You know, just a slight content warning. I think we are probably going to touch on Spencer's possible ideations of self-harm. So, you know, we'll tell you to skip over to the gayer parts if needed uh, when we get to those scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Spencer's self-loathing in this episode is really intense. Ooh, ooh, it sure is. Uh, So we start this super gay episode with a PSA about the dangers of heterosexual attraction. After an extended scene of shirtless Toby furiously sucking face with the perpetually too good and too queer for him, Spencer Hastings, he transforms into the hooded Tobey and his black gloved hands wrap around her throat as he strangles her. Spencer startles awake, gasping. I chose to interpret this as Spencer has sex dreams about A and therefore Spencer has sex dreams about Mona. So... That was that was the, the the hop jump skip that I decided to take with this scene. I mean, I cannot prove you wrong, right? There's a there's a few there's gonna be a few of those in this episode. It's gonna be a few prove me wrong. Oh yeah, well, and we should also uh, just you know we have discussed before uh, that one of the signs of Spencer having it together or not having it together is that when Spencer goes off the rails, her hair becomes extremely frizzy it's like she gives off a cloud of like sweat and addiction and humidity and so her hair uh her hair just becomes uh more and more wild and so like we see her here and it's like her hair is like it it wants to break out and then uh as the episode goes on by the time we get to the end it's like it's full-on danger zone hairstyle (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is, I think Troyan said that at this point in the series, she would show up and they were doing, she would basically just show up and they wouldn't really have her go through hair and makeup at this point. Like, this is, this is kind of how she'd show up to set. And she's wearing also noticeably less makeup uh, in this episode than, than usual. Um, so we go over to, um, to Emily's where she is talking to Aria on the phone. Um, they're talking about the revelation that Melissa might have been involved. You know, once again, it's like, maybe Melissa's involved. Maybe Melissa killed Allison. Who knows? Um, but nobody has heard from Spencer, so they can't really talk about this with her. Um, Emily really wants to, to, to kind of go into this and dissect it. Aria, unsurprisingly, is taking the Ella route. She just thinks they should kind of keep things quiet and not rock the boat too much. Uh, Pam knocks on the door and brings in a delivery for Emily from the James family. Emily is like, who's the James family? And Pam is like, you know, Lyndon James, that boy you killed. And Emily's like, who's Lyndon James? And Pam's like, 
you know, legit James, the boy who was like the fake boyfriend of Maya, you know, your ex-girlfriend. And Emily's like, who's Maya? Not quite that bad, but almost. Um, Emily has indeed forgotten the name of the person that she killed. And Pam has to sort of gently remind her. Um, Pam, like, Pam is weird in this scene because like five times in this scene, she's like, I shouldn't have let you open this. But like, she doesn't actually take the item away from Emily. Um, this is kind of some Ella-style parenting, I feel, that Pam is doing. We also learn here that Pam has recently gotten a job at the police station, which maybe is a good idea, maybe not. Um, so Emily opens up the box. She says she doesn't want the police involved because they'll ask too many questions. Um, this box is apparently full of things that Maya may have found, and it is mostly things of Allison's. It is a number of very lovingly crafted birthday cards that Emily made for Allison talking about, you know, how, what a special friend Allison is and how she hopes they get to celebrate for years to come and are always in each other's lives. It's very cute and very gay. Um, at the bottom, there is a, um, a notebook, a biology book of Allison's. Uh, Emily has a really great line here. She gets kind of quiet as she's looking at the cards and um, one of the, and Pam is like, you know, are you okay? And Emily says, I hate the thought of him touching this, which a small line, but such a great line to convey um, just so much. I mean, convey the heaviness of Emily's feelings for Allison and for Maya to contain um, the the depth of her anger still at Nate and at the whole situation, Lyndon, sorry, and that, that whole situation. Um, and just also feels like a very Emily line that Emily kind of, um, we've seen her already, like certain objects that belong to Maya or Allison hold as they would this incredible significance for her. And the idea of, of Nate kind of um, infiltrating that is very upsetting to her. So, Pam, uh, Emily wonders why the James family sent this stuff to her. Pam theorizes that they are doing what they can. Um, and then, yes, we sort of linger with the biology notebook that Emily finds at the bottom. Yeah, this is a nonsense way of getting this stuff to Emily. Like, the, like Maya found this stuff that belonged to Allie. And then when she was cute, she was going to give it back to Emily. But then Lyndon killed her. But he saved this stuff and his family in Chicago got a hold of it and is now mailing it to Emily. Like none of this makes any sense if you think about it for more than two seconds. Um, but it's effective because we find out not only that Emily made these loving, uh, you know, handcrafted birthday cards, but that Allison, uh, who, you know, is, is such a Rorschach character, Allison saved them. They obviously right. had meaning for her too. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. It's really true. Uh, over in the Marin kitchen, Hannah, love you, Hannah, is resting her injured arm on some frozen vegetables and messaging Caleb on the computer. Uh, Ashley comes in for some wine and chat and asks some leading questions about how it is having Mona back at school. She offers to take Hannah to a doctor for her slipped-in-gym injury. Uh, she chides Hannah about an unwashed pot and then she asks point blank if it's happening again. And Hannah, as always when she has to lie to Ashley, hates it. She's extremely evasive and complains a bit about Caleb already trying too hard to protect her. She demands that her mom let her handle the whole it's complicated situation between Caleb and Mona. 
Yeah, I really love this scene because we haven't seen Ashley in a little while, but there's a real sense that she's been observing Hannah's behavior and is, has been concerned for a while. Um, I also really think it's so telling that um, Hannah is clearly so upset with Caleb here. Like, she's so upset at the degree of overprotectiveness that she's experiencing from Caleb and her mom kind of even coming close to that. She's just immediately like, no, no, I don't want this. She's putting up walls. Um, and I think it, it shows in a way how there's ways in which her relationship with Caleb is much in the way that sort of what's going on with Spencer and Toby is sort of isolating Spencer from her friends. Um, Hannah's relationship with Caleb is, is having a, a part in, in isolating her from her mother, I think. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, and also that, like, Ashley is probing for whether Mona is the source of the trouble. And Hannah's take on it, even though she's very over Mona at this time, Hannah's take is not that Mona is causing her stress. It's that Caleb's reaction to Mona is an increasingly large problem for her. Right, right. I mean, it, it's it's sort of like like Hannah has has tried to reiterate over and over again that she can deal with Mona. She can deal with Mona. Um what she can't deal with is 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 the way that Caleb will not respect the boundaries that she's trying to set in in what's going on with Mona. One hundred percent. Yeah. So we continue our sort of uh, check in with the liar families as we go over to um, a truly upsetting scene where Arya is Arya's going to spend half of this episode sitting on her couch. By the way, um, she's sitting on the couch and. Like a scene out of, you know, Mad Men or something. Bachman <laughs> is on the phone with Meredith's father discussing her mental health issues. Just two fathers taking care of little lady Meredith. Um, Byron gets off the phone and we learn that Meredith has a long history of issues, as he puts it. Um, and she stopped taking her medication. Unspoken there is that she gave all of her medication to Arya. Uh, to, you know, drug her and steal some pages and maybe burn her alive in a house fire. We don't know. Um, Byron apparently spoke on behalf of both uh, he and Arya about wanting Meredith to be treated, not punished. Uh, which is interesting because the topic of, of punishment will come up later in this episode as well. Uh, Byron promises to not let uh, any anyone, you know, anyone bad near their family, not let her near their family. Uh, which is a little, a little, you know, too little, too late at this point. And then he tells this rather manipulative story about um, when he and Ella first moved into this house and they were too poor to buy a furnace. And so they kept Arya bundled up in sweaters all the time because they were so worried about her getting burned in the fireplace, um, never turning their backs on her. Which is funny because Arya will later get burned in a fireplace in season seven or six. Um, but also, this is the second time in as many weeks that a Montgomery parent has offered a non-apology apology about their, you know, bad and somewhat neglectful parenting. Um, and that this apology will not ultimately change any behavior. Yeah, I in my notes, I called this Byron's pity the bad dad routine, uh, which unfortunately Aria really does seem to be uh, affected by. But yeah, this this situation where it just starts out with him talking to Meredith's father, like a, a patriarch to patriarch hotline uh, is, is yeah. no good. And Byron is, is pretty consistently terrible. I feel like throughout this whole episode. Oh, completely. I mean, this is, 
Yeah, this is this is like the epilogue. Unfortunately, this is treated as like the epilogue of the Byron might be bad storyline, but really it's just another chapter of many. Yes, yes. Uh, Hannah, Arya, and Spencer are now strolling along uh, as Spencer gives very brief answers about the anniversary dinner. Arya and Hannah discuss Caleb acting weird, and Arya declares her definite intention to tell Fitz about his fake son that very day. To prepare, she's wearing layered metal triangles, uh, like a DIY tambourine style around her neck. Uh, When Hannah says Natterhorn and Arya has to correct her, they both pick up that something is off with Spencer. Spencer makes an excuse and bounces before the other two meet up with Emily at the brew. Yeah, I I like this scene a lot because, you know, Spencer or um, Hannah and Arya are having this whole debate about like telling the truth and not wanting to, you know, live a lie and the importance of truth. And all of this you can just see is just completely pressing on Spencer's bruise. We have all of these shots of her just kind of like nearly wincing listening to this conversation. Also, uh, this scene starts with Hannah probing for details about Spencer's sex life. So, you know, put that in your back pocket, everybody. (laughs) Um, But uh, Spencer bounces before they get to the brew. Um, Emily is there. They meet up with her. There's a really nice little line where Arya says that if there's, you know, really personal stuff that um, Emily wrote to Allison, Emily doesn't have to share. But Emily seems okay with showing the biology notebook, at least. Hannah is so perfectly Hannah. She doesn't care how a cell divides. It just does. She never got biology. Um, And they, Aria, of course, doesn't want to tell the cops anything. Um, They look through the notebook and find a bunch of notes between Allie and somebody else talking about uh, Beach Hottie. New character alert. Beach Hottie will become a rather significant and uh, mysterious character in the series. Um, the liars recognize the handwriting but can't quite place it. But there is some mention in this notebook about Toby. Um, later, if we get this sort of like, like this is Cece that she was writing to. Um, but it's what's, a, what's weird to me is how the liars seem to be extremely familiar with this handwriting. But I'm not really sure why they would be extremely familiar with Cece's handwriting. Oh, I thought it was supposed to. I, I thought this was like another uh, fake out for Melissa. Yeah, I guess so. But why would Hannah and Aria be so familiar with Melissa's? Like it, it like handwriting. It almost feels like it needs to be somebody that they. I don't know. I don't know why I'm I'm picking this thing to pick apart. But it it it's a little bit of a weak situation, especially <laughs> that Hannah Hannah initially thinks it's Emily's handwriting, and like Hannah's the handwriting expert, so she should know that this right. isn't Emily. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, next thing we see in the courtyard, Arya is leaving a message for Prezra to see if he'll be around for her to drop the fake sunbomb at 2 p.m. Hannah encourages her to just go now uh, and then stumbles upon Paige having a top-secret phone conversation behind a pillar. She specifically mentions, you put a brain in her locker and she still showed up smiling the next day, and then name-checks the person on the other end of the line as... Caleb. Mm-hmm. I hate that Caleb put the brain in the locker. Uh, I hate that Paige knows about it. I would like to kind of just redo the scene in my head that like Paige answers the phone and she's like, soft butch gay hotline, how can I help you? <laughs> and Caleb was like, sometimes 
Lucas and I watch each other masturbate. Is that gay? <laughs> and Paige would be like, yeah, that's, yes, that's pretty gay. And Caleb would be like, huh. Are you sure that's gay? And Paige would be like, yeah, it's, it's pretty gay. That's the conversation that I kind of am imagining them having. Um, but Hannah is not happy. Uh, and she makes a particular note of Paige saying she's going to do it tonight, 7 p.m., off Route 6. So in your rewrite of this scene, is wet brain, in fact, code for something gay? Yeah, it probably is. It probably <laughs> okay. definitely is. Okay. Sounds good. Um, Emily walks into the bathroom to find an, a truly on-the-brink Spencer. Um, and Emily is, like, very into the mystery and trying to figure out who Beach Hottie is. It sounds like somebody that Allie was afraid of. Spencer, suspiciously, not very into the mystery right now. Um, Emily is really kind of taking the leader reins here, but Spencer has decided, oh man, to go to do a little a little slut shaming, victim blaming, and projection in this moment, talking about why do they care about Allison? She wasn't loyal to anyone. Why should we care what happens to her? Happened to her. Um, what I love about this is like, of course, Spencer's talking about herself. She's also talking about Toby. She's also talking about Allison. Like she's just, she's so angry at everybody in this moment. And this, she's just like flinging it at everyone. Um, much like a wet brain. Uh, Emily won't let it go. Um, she shows Spencer the entry on Toby. And we get quite a flashback. Flashback! Flashback! Ugh. Would you like to take us to this flashback? Can I talk about the flashback? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, man. Allison is visiting Tobey in Juvie. And in here, Tobey does not button his black shirt, has a raised cut under his eye, and wears a do-rag. <laughs> Allie is here to accuse him of sending the A-notes. He denies it. She taunts him about Jenna's blindness and about her posse being outside that garage, too. He says if he knew who sent the notes, he'd offer his services. She also loath flirts with him, saying she bets he wishes he kissed her when he had the chance. These two, so much hate, so little chemistry. <laughs> Tobey, however, does have quite a bit of chemistry. With his do-rag. <laughs> well, what's also so funny about this scene is, like, not to invoke the timeline, but, like, the theoretical, like, chance that he would have had is, like, the interpretive memory flashback to when, like, <laughs> like they were, like, fondling Jenna's snow globes and Toby's mom was, like, bumbling her way down the stairs and Toby was, like, stammering his way through... God only knows what, which according to Marlene is like, they were like maybe six years old when they happened. When that <laughs> happened. So I like that. That's um, that those are like the two interactions that these people have had. Um, yeah. This scene is just ridiculous. I mean, just the, 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 the costuming is really, really, really something. Yeah. The, the do rag is a baffling choice. <laughs> I I think that they're trying to like I think they're trying to invoke sort of a a more urban or thug like 
persona for Toby, you know, having to get tough to survive in the rigors of this actually very nice room that he has here at Juvie. Um, But it looks so ridiculous on him. Uh, And like, Keegan is never not aware that he has it on. Like, the (laughs) do-rag is like his main form of acting in this particular scene. Like, he's trying to like emote do-rag while wearing the do-rag and it's it's just it is a lot also the do-rag is like it is so long it's like trailing it's like trailing behind him um yeah it is it is an insane costuming choice truly i'm gonna venture to say that the do-rag is wearing him (laughs) yeah Yeah, it, yes. it it feels vaguely racist to like put oh. it in this. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's not very vague. Like unless unless this is like a turban and he has like Lord Voldemort hidden in the back of his head. Uh, yeah, there's there's not really a non-racist reason for him to be wearing this item of clothing. It's also just it's so it's so interesting because this almost you know. Actually, as I think about this, this is probably just Spencer's interpretation of Toby in this moment. Because we, like, there's not really a reason to think that this is how Toby would actually be in Juvie. Especially because we saw, like, sad, you know, reading Catcher in the Rye, like, sobbing because children are running away from him, Toby, in season one. So, if this is, in fact, a Spencer interpretation, which I think I've just decided for myself that it is. What a strange choice for Spencer. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that being Spencer's okay. interpretation. Uh, I guess I, I, I mean, he is, he is like flashing his abs quite a bit with his unbuttoned black shirt. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is probably largely a creation of Allison's writing. So maybe it's like a joint project between... <laughs> Uh, That's Allison true. in the past and Spencer <laughs> in the present who's reading this. It's like an exquisite corpse of of what Toby might be up to. Yeah, yeah. I don't know which of them came up with a do-rag, but I need a word. <laughs> yes. Um, so back from this flashback, Spencer is crying as she reads about Toby and his do-rag. Uh, she turns around, admitting to Emily that she and Toby broke up, but not why, and asking Emily to keep it quiet. Um, Emily hugs her. Yeah, I love this scene. I love Emily being there for her. Uh, I love Spencer's eyes filling with tears, but she doesn't just let it go and start crying. Um, this is a really, this is a nice moment, especially since like Spencer has said a ton of hurtful things about Allison in an attempt to like shove Emily away and make Emily leave the situation before Spencer would have to either look at the notebook or reveal the truth. Um, so it, it speaks to Emily's persistence uh, and Emily's gentleness that she doesn't go for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, next thing we know, Spencer is in English class listening to insufferable men opine about literature. She gets a text from Aria saying that Prezor freaked out and broke up with her. Meet her in the park. Spencer immediately flies into action. She jumps up. She storms out of class. Ella Montgomery tries to stop her. Um, and it's, 
I mean, this is not a matchup that Ella is going to win, um, but Ella does kind of annoy Spencer enough uh, that Spencer has to make some declarations about not needing to be there, everything being useless. Uh, Ella at one point grabs her arm and forces Spencer to shake her off on her way out the door. Uh, and my note is just that, boy, Spencer is just screaming for help here and no one is listening appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. Is that a legitimate, is that legitimate enough? Like she's just, she's, she's, she's just like a, like an angry dog kind of biting at everyone. Um, and yeah, it's really true that, you know, Ella is not maybe the, the person you want on deck when, uh, a, a quick decision or, or some, or some help is urgently needed. Yeah. Um, so Spencer, we cut to Spencer angrily bike riding. This is like some Paige McCullers level angry bike riding to Prezra in the park. Now we have never seen Spencer ride a bike before. Do you think that this is Spencer's bike or do you think that she is so mad that she like hulked out Broke Paige McCullers bike lock and is actually on Paige's bike as she pedals off after Prezra. Could be, could be. I could totally see it. the 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 bike acting in this scene is is fantastic. The way she just like tosses it aside with so much disdain. Um, oh my god, the things that Spencer says to Prezra in this scene. This is this is just this is a chef's kiss of a scene, if you ask me. Um, so Prezra obnoxiously is sitting there in the pike in the park, reading and writing. Um, Spencer comes in at a fifteen. Hey, enjoying a nice day in the park, writing down all your thoughts and feelings. And and Prezra's like, Spencer, nice. What are you doing here? What's going on? And Spencer just unloads on. How could you do that to her? No, don't apologize to me. Not after the way that you treated her. Do you even get how much she loves you? Do you think it's easy to find out a secret like that? Because it's not okay. It's a burden. I mean, you're screwed if you tell and you're screwed if you don't. And, of course, she's talking to Toby here. But she's also talking to Prezra. Clearly, these are thoughts that she's had about Prezra for a while. And I love them, you know, getting revealed in this way. Um, Spencer then goes into this whole thing about, you know, she wants to be mad at anybody, be mad at Maggie. She's the one who hid your son for the last seven years, which turns out to be a secret that Prezra did not know. It turns out that Spencer has been very much set up by A. Um, she, like, realizes this and just leaves. She's just like, <laughs> okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done with this situation. Goodbye. When you talk about the bike acting... One of my favorite parts is that the back wheel of the bike is still spinning when she goes over. Yes. She goes over to pick it back up. Like Spencer's fury and pedaling and flinging the bike and then like unloading all of this on Sweater Predator here in the park uh, is like so amazing. And it happens so fast that her bike has not even like fully stopped its motion uh, by the time she is going to flee the scene. Yes, the bike is still catching its breath by the time Spencer hops back on. Oh my God, I love the scene. I love Spencer just giving him what for. And for all that like, you know, in the moment here, it seems like, oh, this is so unwarranted. She is like yelling at him and punishing him for you know, behavior that Toby exhibited to her. 
Well, every single thing that she says about Prezzer's reaction is exactly the way that he is about to react. So, I mean, I'm happy that she, like, preemptively yelled at him about it because he is going to be every bit as bad as she expects him to be around this issue. Well, I totally agree. And I also find it very interesting. I mean, obviously, there are circumstances for this. But the next time that we see Spencer... After this whole Tobey saga is is over and done with, the next time we see Spencer really unravel, it will be um, when she during the Prezra saga, Prezra um, saga, and it's it's just this interesting thing where this incredibly ferocious sort of protectiveness towards Arya seems to come out when Spencer is at her lowest, um, protection for all of her friends, but in particular this anger towards Prezra. And um, I think it's one could read a lot into that and and what they might mean about Spencer's feelings for Arya. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I also think that we've talked about swimming possibly being code for queer sex. I definitely think that bike riding also has a very queer component to it on this show. Yeah, I feel like um, Caleb's probably going to leave another uh, message for Paige's soft butch hotline asking if riding a tandem bike with Lucas also been gay. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> she says, yes, but I have some questions. Who rides front? Who rides back? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, at the police station, Pam is getting coffee. She drops a napkin like a lady in a Renaissance film, and Barry Maple is there to gallantly pick it up and offer it back to her. He then asks after her family. She mentions the package that Emily got. Uh, She wonders if she should be worried that, you know, Lyndon James' murderer family has their (laughs) address. Wilden, uh, standing nearby, dips into their conversation uh, and says that they shouldn't be contacting her at all and offers to run interference and tell them to send all further correspondence right to the police station. Yeah, you know, Wilden, like, way to, way to kill the mood here. I mean, there's, there's some, there are some definite sparks flying between Barry and Pam, truly the only shippable heterosexual couple in Rosewood and they're just like I mean I, I I'm like being a little facetious but like they're just there there is a real warmth between them and Barry is like truly the only like good guy especially only good police officer on this show um and yeah I had totally forgotten I kind of honestly had forgotten that Pam and Barry ever interacted I had kind of <laughs> thought that you and I had just made up all of our interact all of those interactions in our uh, desire to ship them so seeing them actually interact I was really delighted and he seems genuinely very interested in how she and her family are doing yes yes it's a real treat so at school Emily is reading through the alley biology notebook um, seeming like maybe she's has an idea about the handwriting or maybe she's just still trying to figure it out when she stumbles upon a picture of Allie and Cece from Kate May and suddenly she has a new clue. I love this episode. Like I talked about the box of stuff being 
uh, sent to Emily in this like convoluted kind of clunky way. Uh, the, the clunky evidence somewhat continues by the fact that like this episode is chock full of pictures that are clues that conveniently feature people posing in front of Cape May branded life preservers. <laughs> like yes. apparently they're the, the life preserver that says Cape May so prominently is like a thing that just everybody takes a picture in front of uh, whenever there's going to be evidence of their doing something sneaky, AKA being in Cape May. Yes. Yeah. It's really true. It's, 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 yeah. The picture evidence is really quite helpful for the liars. <laughs> uh, Aria arrives at the lunch table wondering where Spencer is. Oh, honey. Uh, they discuss not having seen her since that morning, the rumors that she bailed on study group and stormed out of class, etc. Then, then, the girls catch sight of Aria's adult male former English teacher boyfriend here to make a fucking scene in the middle of the cafeteria. He reaps her out in front of Hannah and Emily and God and everybody, acting in exactly the way Spencer took him to task for. He places no blame on Maggie, all blame on Aria, who, I might point out, is a teenager. Of course she doesn't have experience navigating the secret fake son dynamics of her adult male former English teacher partner. He's mean. She's sorry. He stomps off. A immediately sends her a text message that she needed a push, so they pushed send for her. Yeah, Prezra is just, I mean, unsurprisingly, the worst. Um, he has he has a line in there about, like, you're the person I'm spending my life with. Oh, your underage teenage girlfriend is the person you're spending your life with. Nice, uh, nice, nice life you got there, Mr. Predator Man. Um, also, I love how, like, Emily and Hannah's reactions in this scene. Emily is chewing like a puppy that just got in trouble. It's, like, very cute and very funny. Um, and just, yeah, I, I enjoy their reactions in the back very much. Um, yeah. Back at the police station, Pam is doing something. We don't really ever know what her job is. I assume it has something to do with files and coffee. Um, Wilden approaches. He tries to make conversation about Emily and bagels, but Pam is clearly not interested. Um, he wants to talk more about how dangerous things are in this town and, Pam, who, like, luckily has seems to have a certain amount of radar where Wilden is concerned, at least until she doesn't, um, wonders if he's basically asking if uh, she and Emily are planning on moving. Wilden then offers Pam some weird advice about getting Emily help for accidentally killing someone. He goes into this whole story about how two weeks out of the academy, he had to shoot someone in self-defense and... Um, even though it was all by the book, he never really got over it. Um, and Pam was like, what made you decide to start talking about it? Or when did you decide to start talking about it? And he goes, right now. And like, he's maybe flirting with her over the fact that she, that he killed someone and her daughter killed someone. He's maybe fishing for answers. I don't know why this scene couldn't have taken place between Barry and Pam, but I much would have preferred if it had. Pam, however, does seem to take this to heart as we learn that Emily has not been opening up about what happened with Nate. Yeah, poor Pam is really, um, she, she's really kind of a sheep in the, the wolf's den, it seems like, yeah. here at the Rosewood PD. 
uh, and, and Wilden is for sure a wolf. I don't know what to make of this story, if it's true, uh, if it's something that he kind of made up from aiding and abetting Allison being buried alive. Uh, it's anybody's guess, but it doesn't really seem like he's being on the level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so this next scene, this is one that you might want to uh, fast forward a little bit uh, if you don't want to hear about kind of some of Spencer and her thoughts of self-harm. Uh, just, you know, fast forward a little bit to get to the gayer stuff. Uh, but Spencer is pulling a frozen meal out of a really fancy microwave, uh, and she is flirting with some self-harm. Uh, she touches the plastic, even though it burns her a little. Uh, she grabs a pair of sharp scissors and stares at her reflection menacingly until the door opens and Aria walks in. Uh, Aria, who's full of sympathy and knows Spencer was set up. Spencer continues to lash out and says they need to stop blaming A for everything that goes wrong. Maybe they need to blame themselves. Aria is shocked and reminds Spencer that A wants to hurt them. Spencer says maybe they deserve it. Aria is done Spencer hasn't even asked how she's doing after all of this. Arya leaves and Spencer continues to spiral. Oh yeah, this scene really hurts. Um, it's one of the things that's so hard is like, you know, Arya of course is going to be very forgiving because Arya is a very forgiving person and also um, the least confrontational liar. Um, Spencer is like at her most confrontational here. Like she's looking for a fight and she really wants to be punished. She wants Arya to punish her. She wants A to punish her. She feels like she deserves pain. She feels like she deserves hurt for so many reasons. You know, she feels, she feels stupid. She feels betrayed. She feels, um, you know, just so angry at herself for not having figured this out. So angry at herself for, you know, having let her guard down with Toby and, and being hurt this way. Um, so angry, you know, I'm sure that there's a part of her that really feels like it's her fault that Toby joined the A-team in the first place and so angry with herself for that. And so it's just, it's, this scene is so interesting because it's like Spencer keeps trying to poke at, at Arya to get her to, to, to give her an angry reaction, to get her to yell at Spencer, to get her to, to, to hurt her. And Arya sweet aria like she's not gonna give her that um yeah it's just it's it's a really it's it's really hard and and really sad that this is where spencer is at yeah and when we talk about um the saga of tobey which is like i don't know how anybody can forgive him any of this garbage behavior but when we look at what he's done as tobey and what he's done as toby spencer's boyfriend all of this gaslighting groundwork he did with his regular face. Like, all of this acting like Spencer is not worthy of being with him. All of this acting like Spencer is no good because she doesn't tell him uh, every thought that she has, every second that she has it. Um, like, all of this is stuff that Toby himself uh, has put in her head, and we should not forget that. Uh, also, what Spencer really, really, really seems to be going for here. Uh, she wants Arya to smack her across the face the way that she smacked Toby. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, because she does, I mean, she does seem to want all kinds of violence, like, pointed at her in this moment. Like, she just, she wants, and she wants a fight. I mean, I think she wants, she wants, 
the uh, it almost would feel cathartic to her at this point to like have someone yell at her, have someone slap her, or to be able to 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 you know give that back to somebody too. Yeah, and I mean, I know that a lot of this is just the incredible turmoil that she's in because she has just discovered this huge secret about Toby that she can't tell the other liars or she feels like she can't tell them yet. Uh, but I think that we should also, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't fail to clock the fact that like a lot of Spencer and Toby in their regular relationship was them having this fucking argument that Spencer wants somebody to have with her right now, which is genuinely a sign of how deeply disturbing their regular relationship dynamic has become by this point in the show. It, that's really true. That's really true. I also think that this scene shares a lot of DNA with the scene when uh, Paige showed up at Emily's doorstep, soaked to the bone, you know, and had that whole exchange about, you know, why don't you hate me? I I would, I do. And I feel like that's really what Spencer's saying to Arya here is, you should hate me, I would, I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. 100% what she's saying here. And it is, it, this is a heartbreaker of a scene. It really is. And it's just going to get worse for Spencer, unfortunately, over the next few episodes. Um, but at least there is Cece. Emily shows Cece the picture um, from Kate May. Kate May, let us not forget, it's Kate May. Um, and Cece just, like, chatters away, delightedly spinning this whole story about this photo and when they took it and Allie's family and blah, blah, blah. Um, Cece claims to have no idea who Beach Hottie is, um, but it seems she was the other girl in the notebook. She says she never knew who Beach Hottie was, but there were so many hotties that summer. Um Again, this was where I took the note, like, why did the liars recognize Cece's handwriting? But I don't know. Maybe she handwrites all the tags at the Diva Dish or something. Um, Allie was apparently being really sketchy about this guy. She wouldn't say who he was. Um, and then Cece, or Emily asks if Jason would know. And Cece says that Jason basically would have killed the guy. And we go to a flashback. Should I, do you want to take us to our flashback or should I? If, if you want this flashback, because I got the last flashback, you are welcome to it. Um, so I, I could take this flashback. We are in Cape May. It's like crabs and spring break and beer. Everybody's having the time of their lives. It's like a, it's like a con cabin party just transported to Cape May here. The cons are probably here, let's be real. Um, although we don't have a photo of them with helpfully named Kate May behind them, so we can't really say for sure. Um, Cece is at this front. She has this really funny line where she's like, can someone tell Jason to leave his weed and come meet us here? Which tells us, I feel like, everything we need to know about Jason in this time period and their relationship. Um, Allie shows up looking not very much in the party spirit. She is pretty tearful and upset. Cece goes over to her and we find out that Allie thinks that she might be pregnant. She's two weeks late. She's never been two weeks late before. She's really freaked out. Uh, Cece asks if she's told the guy and Allie says that if he finds out, he will kill her. She seems genuinely really, really scared. Um, back from the flashback, Cece like all but confirms without confirming that she believes that Allie was pregnant. Which um, I feel like we, there are different ways we could interpret that, you know, that Cece genuinely thought that um, or that she, you know, it was one more thing to make the liars kind of spin out. Emily in particular, I mean, this is such a 
such a thing for Emily to hear. Um, and Emily just kind of sits and, and takes that information in. Yeah, I love Cece. Uh, I love how delighted she is to talk to any of the liars, particularly, I mean, I feel like she does treat Emily like her the sister-in-law that she didn't get to have at this point. Uh, so I, I like their relationship a lot. Uh, I also think it's super weird that Allie and Cece have this whole flashback conversation and then Emily and Cece have this whole conversation in the present moment where neither of them actually says the word pregnant. The show is so weird. It keeps talking around it. Allison's like, I'm late. And Cece's like, were you using protection? And Allie's like, sometimes, not all the time. And like, they just have this whole, like, it's very, very clear what you're supposed to think here. But for whatever reason, uh, the show never actually like spells out the word. Who knows why? Yeah, it it is really weird. I mean, it's like it's kind of like how we had a couple of episodes where it, you know, they talked about Maggie taking care of the pregnancy before Arya finally said the word abortion. You yeah, know? but it's even weirder because it's 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 nobody's actually talking about abortion. They're talking about pregnancy. But I guess I don't know. I mean, it's it's this is also an interesting scene because this is Allie confirming to somebody i mean we don't again we don't really know what to believe this is all filtered through many people's um possible you know lying memories but um Allie's saying that she had sex with somebody which is a hotly debated topic um as the series goes on yes <laughs> <laughs> yes it is <laughs> for, for those home, joanna just did quite the eye roll <laughs> Well, I mean, there are so many, there are so many stupid take backsies on the show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Allison is clearly worried that she was pregnant, which is the result, another PSA about the dangers of heterosexual relationships in this episode. Very true. Very true. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh, so now we go back to Aria sitting sadly on her couch, uh, picking up her phone to call Hannah. Uh, Hannah can't talk. She is busy on a spy mission. She is following Paige. And I love, I, I love what this whole, like everything that Hannah is going to be doing for the whole rest of this episode is so great. And also it's like, it's very convoluted. Like Hannah is following Paige because she heard Paige on the phone with Caleb talking about how they were going to try to get back at Mona. And so she is following them to try to stop them uh, before A finds out what they're up to. So this is like a bit of a word salad. Um, but for the entire rest of the episode, Hannah is totally going to be like, this, 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 keep up, everyone. And, like, very, uh, very perplexed that, like, not everybody is on the same page uh, as she is with this cockamamie plan. Uh, so she's like, yes, yes, I'm following Paige. I'm following Paige because she's working with Caleb. They're trying to bring Mona down. I'm going to bust him before A does. And Arya's just like, whoa, what, huh? And Hannah's like, gotta go. And Arya just tells her to be careful. Would you like to take us into this next scene? I feel like I feel like I feel like you shall take you should take us in. Attention! Attention! We are at the lesbian bar. I repeat, we are at the lesbian bar. This is not a drill. 
Paige is sitting at a table with a woman who is not Emily. Spoiler alert, this is the debut appearance of Shauna Costume Shop Fring. And they're doing a tabletop handhold. And then, 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 Hannah at the lesbian bar. Hannah is at the lesbian bar. This is also not a drill. Hannah has entered the lesbian bar. She is wearing her From Paris with Love t-shirt and stalks in, then observes that it's all ladies and gets a knowing look on her face as she spots two girls making out. Two women, one of whom looks like a short-haired Cece, give Hannah the eye. (laughs) Yeah, this is like, this is funny because later Hannah will get carded for, um, for the drink thing. So I'm assuming that this is just like an all ages club, like the bronze. (laughs) Well, it's like, yes, it's like this, like underground gay ladies club off route six that Paige and Caleb (laughs) both know about. Caleb's calling that Soft Butch Hotline. I know, they they buy advertising on the Soft Butch Hotline, probably. That's how, like, Caleb and Paige are both aware of its existence. Um, But, yeah, there is a lot, a lot going on here. And it's, like, there are, like, you know, fancy lighting and, like, all these really attractive couples. Everyone is checking Hannah out. And I actually feel like that is extremely realistic. Like, she walks in, she's gorgeous, she's not obviously with anyone, and she, like, has that, like, is she straight? Is she what? You know, like, plus it's Ashley Benson. So, yeah, there's, um, you know, Kara is probably, like, in the bathroom just waiting. <laughs> just waiting to make her move. She's, like, mm-hmm. in, in five years' time. It's all <laughs> Well, I also like, you know, the Paris is obviously a huge thing for Emerson. Like Paris is this this symbol of of their their life together and what could be. And then also Paris becomes, I think, kind of a Vandermeeren thing because that's where Mona moves uh, post series. So I, I love that Hannah's wearing a Paris shirt here. It's also yeah. weird because she was like wearing a blazer, like a daytime blazer earlier. And then she took the blazer off. To go to the club, maybe just because it was very shiny and she felt like it would be more distracting. But Ashley Benson is so funny in these scenes when she has to like, I mean, we'll get to it. But like the scenes when she's like, like her just reacting to things and like crouch walking on the floor. And um, yeah, her look of just half excitement and half fear is is wonderful. And I just I love I love how game she is to be here. Um, emphasis on the gay part of game, by the way. 100%. So, um, in a, in a wild, a wildly like 180 in terms of the mood, um, we go from the delightful lesbian bar over to Spencer, like so dramatic, so mournful sitting in her stairwell. She might be drinking vodka. Like, I feel like there's a bottle of something and I'm not totally sure that it's water, um she texts someone and asks if they're willing to meet they say that they are she writes that she shouldn't be doing this and no one can know um i we're probably meant to think that this is toby um or maybe mona but um 
it is in fact neither, as we will later learn. Yes, uh, I felt like this was going from the lesbian bar to the queer woman Hannah probably wishes she were making out with at the lesbian bar. There we go. Yeah, there's um, there's an interesting thing with Spencer. We'll talk about it later in the episode, but there's a weird, like, very weird red herring of, like, is Spencer, like, turning to sex work in her devastation over Tobey? <laughs> like... <laughs> misdirect like it's a very brief misdirect but it's definitely there you know I will tell you when I was watching this episode I, and I've watched this episode a bunch of times because Hannah is at the lesbian bar the lesbian bar the lesbian <laughs> bar but um, I obviously had like fast forwarded through a lot of the Spencer stuff because I didn't remember who she was meeting and I actually thought it was going to be Ren uh, I thought she yeah. was going to be like making that particular bad choice here um, Which she will in like a couple of episodes time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, listen, you let me take the first scene. Would you like to take our our little foray back into lesbian bars, lesbian bars, lesbian bar that Hannah Marin is currently at? Oh, sure, I would love to. So back at the bar, Paige is looking very cozy and flirty. Um, with new character Shauna I think it's in the next scene where they like we actually hear them have an exchange of dialogue but they are pages like laughing and they look very cozy Hannah hovers um, pretty closely nearby like it's very obvious that Hannah Marin is in this lesbian bar not only because you know like Hannah is you know no more than like 10 feet away from them at any point but also because everybody is staring at her like <laughs> I feel like Shauna at some point should be like, who is everybody staring at? And Paige is like, oh, no. Uh, But Hannah is brought a raspberry flirtini by a girl at the bar. Pink drinks, code for something gay. Um, Also, in case this scene didn't need to be more over the top, um, their song playing on the soundtrack has a line about slip of the tongue. Uh, yes, uh, so the, the flirtini arrives, Hannah is like, I didn't order that, and the bartender's like, oh, I, no, you know, she sent it over, and she gestures at this woman uh, who has a non-speaking role, uh, so my take, and possibly your take too, is that there is no evidence this isn't Mona in a mask. That's very true, that's very true, yes, because she could be wearing a coconut oil mask, um, mm-hmm. It, it's really, really weird in the later scene that this person does not talk at all. Like it's, it's very strange because the person that this person is with does talk to Hannah, but this person does not talk ever at any point, and it's quite strange. Yes, I mean, this person could potentially be a mute. I'm not sure. Like, they wrote a note to the bartender and an an arrow that they just drew, like, pointing at Hannah. I don't know. I mean, I would definitely, like, I I would definitely have something to say if, like, you sent a drink over to someone and later they're dancing with you. Like, you you think, I mean, maybe, maybe this person just has crippling social anxiety or maybe it's Mona in a mask. Yeah, I think that that, I mean, that, I think that that's really the only plausible explanation. <laughs> but, but if we go with that, which I quite like, that presumes, which I'm happy to presume, that Mona <laughs> has 
a girlfriend that 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 nobody knows about that and you know has just comes to this bar all the time with her girlfriend so listen mona has hyper adrenalized reality she could have like she could have six girlfriends we we don't know very very true and they're all so tired of having to pretend to be hannah Marin in bed <laughs> exactly exactly oh uh back over at aria's byron grumps about how long aria has been on the couch now a she has been on the couch in like multiple scenes in this episode <laughs> however she's still getting over being poisoned by your former mistress so i kind of think that byron should be cutting her a, a, a touch more slack um but he offers to make some kind of fancy bad dad grilled cheese uh, he doesn't get a chance to because there is a knock on the door and it's Emily. She's here to sit on the swing outside and confide in Aria about Allison's possible, still unmentioned, pregnancy. Uh, I love that she comes to Aria with this. I feel like it's an echo of when Aria was so understanding uh, after the reveal in The Perfect Storm. And they were sitting on that bench in the locker room. Uh, I think that that's kind of a sweet callback. Uh, there's some exposition about how it wouldn't necessarily have shown up on the autopsy if it was still really early. Uh, and then Emily kind of uh, makes a uh, an impulsive solo decision uh, that this does rise to the level of something that they should tell the police. Like Allison potentially being pregnant, there being a guy out there who if she told him would want to kill her this is actually like a really viable motive that someone could have had for murder. And she's not going to mess around. She's not going to put it up to a vote. She's not even going to rope in the other liars. She's going to go to the station uh, and she is going to give them this notebook. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which makes sense. I mean, I, yeah, I really like them having this scene. I think, you know, it makes sense that Emily would go to Aria with this also because like, Aria will just, you know, she'll go with whichever way the wind blows. And so she's she's kind of the most um, easy to manipulate liar in some ways. Um, but yeah, I, I also think this scene is, there's a scene, I think, in the pilot, right? With, with the two of them sitting on this porch swing mm-hmm. um, and talking about how, or maybe it's in the Jenna thing, I forget. But talking about, um, you know, the, the how it feels like Ali is still there. Um, and I, I like that. And. Um, I think especially if we if we think about, you know, we've talked about the possibility that there was um, that Allie may have had some feelings for Aria at, a, at certain points, um, romantic feelings. It's really interesting for the two of them to share this moment together. Agree. Agree. Like our, the swing outside of Aria's is like where you go to have an emotional conversation. Like you might also go to Emily's, like, the the window seat in yep. Emily's room. Yeah. Uh, that would be another good location. But the the swing here uh, outside of Aria's house is definitely, um, you know, you can have gay talks there. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bikes and bikes and swings and window seats are all, and, and, uh, and wet brains, all, <laughs> all very much code for something gay. Although I feel like a scene with Arya and Karate Jake on this scene on this swing at one point oh is there hmm. yeah hmm. I don't know we'll get to him soon enough well Emily wasn't able to call the soft butch hotline because <laughs> unfortunately 
uh, Paige is busy still being in Hannah's caper. <laughs> yes. Back at the lesbian bar, uh, Shauna is telling Paige that she misses her. And if they play the uncut version of this song, she's going to have to kiss her. Um, Paige just sort of giggles agreeably while Hannah stands literally like between them frowning. Um, she is not two feet away from them, just very much disapproving of uh, what she presumes to be Paige two-timey Emily here. When she almost gets caught, finally, she does this hilarious crouch down duck walk, walk through the bar with her raspberry flotini in hand, and then happens to pop up right in front of the girl who bought her said drink. She um, kind of... <laughs> kind of uh does like a like a okay we have to dance because otherwise i'm gonna get caught move the girl continues to not say anything but uh (laughs) keeps dancing with hannah because you know why wouldn't you um and then this girl's girlfriend shows up calls hannah a peroxide piece of trash and throws a drink on her um hannah like is you know upset and reacts accordingly if Paige had seen Hannah, what would Hannah's cover story have been? Inquiring minds want to know. Um, Somebody walks up and asks Hannah for her ID, which apparently was not taken at the door of this bronze-like lesbian bar. Um, Hannah, Hannah's cover is blown here. Okay. Uh, A short list of things that this woman, aka Mona in a mask, might have said under normal circumstances in this particular situation. Hi. My name is... My name is Vona Manderwall. No relation to anyone else you might know. Third... Excuse me. <laughs> Why were you duck walking <laughs> through this bar? <laughs> yes, I would like to dance. <laughs> Blonde duck walking girl who hasn't introduced herself to me. Excuse me. <laughs> You seem to be using this dance to clearly spy on someone (laughs) over my shoulder. Or, if social anxiety slash secretly being Mona uh, has prevented her from saying any of these things, when the angry girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, possessive person who feels like they have some type of a claim uh, on Vona Manderwall <laughs> comes over. Um, you might say, for example, hey! <laughs> <laughs> when they fling the drink on Hannah. <laughs> uh, so, that's my short list. Do you have anything so, you'd like to add? <laughs> no, I think are all great i would like to know though what your short list of things that that hannah might have offered as a cover story if Paige had walked up to her and said hey hannah what are you doing in this bar that's more of a cop okay um 
possibility number one, Hannah would have pretended that she was just there to use the bathroom. Uh, this is called the Clay Aiken before he was out. <laughs> um, so I, I think that that is one possibility. Uh, I think possibility number two uh, is that Hannah would have deflected and said, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? And without Emily, uh, I think that would have been possibility number two. Okay. Uh, I think possibility number three, uh, she could have said, have you seen Spencer? <laughs> Paige would have been like, got it. <laughs> I, she was in the locker room. <laughs> um, so I, I think that that would be a possibility. But I also, um, <laughs> I also kind of like the possibility that Hannah's prime directive when confronted by Paige uh, would be that like she can't have Paige tell Emily that Paige saw Hannah trailing Paige at the lesbian bar because Paige was beating up with Caleb she thought to go after Mona Hannah's ex-girlfriend you know she she would have felt like this was all too impossible to reveal and so Hannah's instinctive reaction would have been to kiss Paige I so that Paige would not be able to tell Emily about any of this nonsense. I feel like that one feels the most likely to me. I feel like like it's one of those things where like everything is closing in. She's covered in the drink already. It's all going down. It's, it's like this night has not gone as planned. And she just flings herself across the room and kisses Paige right back <laughs> there, you know, like like Spencer, you know, dropping the truth bomb on Prezra. Um, and Paige is just left there gaping. Yeah, or or I'm gonna offer another possibility, which is that Hannah could uh, flail around pretending that her thruple just threw her out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. She could also dark horse, she could also kiss Shauna. I mean, there are a lot of options that would be open to her, I think. I did write a fic once where Hannah kissed Shauna, actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, that wasn't the only thing that happened in the fic, but it was one, right. of, one of the few. Um, yeah, there, yeah, there are a lot of possibilities, but yeah, this is a, this is a great, this is a great little storyline for Hannah. Uh, I think it's extremely rude that uh, possessive, uh, possessive short hair, uh, calls Hannah a peroxide piece of trash, and that's what Hannah gets angry about. Hannah's like more mad about that than getting the drink dumped on her. Yeah, oh, she totally is. Uh, sadly, it is time to leave the lesbian bar uh, and go back to the police station where Emily is showing her mom the biology notebook but not spilling specifically about Allison's pregnancy, which is actually the most important part. Uh, but Pam goes off to find out who they should give this notebook to. Why do you think Emily doesn't spill about the pregnancy, which, as you point out, is the most important part? Oh, I actually think that if she were talking to someone who wasn't her mom, she would have. I think that we know that Pam was judgmental about Aria having pink streaks in her hair, uh, and the goth lifestyle. Uh, so I think that for that reason, like Emily would still be trying to protect Allie, uh, even though she's gone, uh, she'd be trying to protect Allie from Pam's like, you know, 
post-mortem judgment. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Oh, man, this is a this is a hard scene. Um, Spencer is in her car trying to put makeup on while actively crying. She, like, puts on some mascara, cries, falls apart a little bit, brushes herself back up, puts on more, keeps crying. So sad. So good. Give Troy and all the awards. Also, the song on the soundtrack, um, listen to some of these lyrics, can't compromise me for you. That kind of trade would never do. Wearing shoes that don't quite fit, you lose yourself a little bit. These are lyrics about Spencer's compulsive heterosexuality. Prove me wrong. I have the same notes. <laughs> the same note. The shoe that doesn't quite fit. I know a bar. <laughs> Go to Spencer. That's all I'm saying. You could try on lots of shoes there. You could. You could indeed. Oh, goodness. Um, so Emily is sitting at the station uh, waiting for her mom to come back when she sees the police bring a drink-covered Hannah uh, in for uh, her underage drinking rap. Uh, Emily goes over and talks to her and learns <clears throat> that uh, Hannah was at a club. No, a bar. No, a club. Uh, but nowhere that Emily would have ever heard of. No, no, no reason to talk about it. Betty Bouncer, etc., uh, etc., um, Hannah got a drink thrown at her. No big deal. Don't ask questions. Um, but Emily is like trying to like parse this story for like some lick of sense uh, when Wilden comes out uh, and takes the notebook from her and tells her that uh, you know he thanks her and says that she did the right thing by bringing it to them. Uh, Hannah is focusing on how her mom is going to kill her. Can Emily get her a napkin? Emily goes over to where the coffee is and discovers a picture of Wilden and some anonymous male buddies holding a giant fish in front of a life preserver <laughs> that conveniently declares them to be at Cape May. I would also like to note that in this picture and in the other picture and in the flashback scene uh, where Cece and Allison are at Cape May, Cape May is basically just the con cabin set with a life preserver and some lobsters thrown into the decor. <laughs> it's so true, which is so funny because when Maya, um, when they found those pictures of Maya, it helpfully said con cabin behind her in the picture. So, you know, it's always nice to take pictures in a place that labels your location in case you get murdered there. Yes, yes. Very thoughtful. Yeah, I, yeah, this is, this is such a funny scene. I love, like, it's so weird and preposterous that, um, you know, Hannah ends up, like, arrested for underage drinking and at the police station right when Emily's there. But I just love it. I love all the Team Hanley stuff. I love them shit-talking Wilden right in front of him, like, how much they don't like him and don't want him to be the cop um, assigned to deal with this. And just, yeah, just, oh, <laughs> You were in a club, more of a bar. What bar? More of a club. You wouldn't have heard of it. Like, just <laughs> such a perfect exchange. Um, and yeah, now this is like the first the first little hint here that Wilden may have been beach hottie, may have been involved with Allison. Yeah, yes. which always felt really right, you know, given everything we knew about Wilden as a character. It always made a lot of sense to me that he might have had some involvement with her. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
So Spencer walks into a diner. Uh, we see the rest of her outfit, and it's this kind of um, somewhat tight red dress. She sits down across from a looking. I don't remember. This is Miles Corwin, the like private eye on you know retainer for the Hastings family. Have we actually seen him before at this point? Oh no! And I actually didn't even remember that he had a name. He's just like the the private eye. Yeah. So this is, we'll eventually find out, I guess, this is Miles Corwin. Um, oh, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Spencer and self-harm in, like, a couple seconds. So, again, fast forward if you're yes. not ready for that right now. Totally. Um, he asks if she's 18. She asks how this works. Um, he replies, however she wants it to work. She called him. Um, let's pause here. What do you make of this strange misdirect moment of like Spencer might be turning to sex work to deal with Kobe fallout. I have no, I have no idea why they did this. This is like a real do-rag of a, a misdirect here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're throwing out all these weird like like sort of class and race signifiers about like how down in the dumps Spencer and Toby are slash were at these various points that feel really um feel feel really bad and particular I mean I know this isn't that old but really have not aged well yeah totally totally agree um so yeah it very much feels like you know something something bad is about to go down um for Spencer um but then she pulls out the the key the a key she sets it down on the table she says that she wants him to find out where the key goes and to follow um this this guy and she pulls out a picture of the two of them um but before she could hand over the photo she she rips it in half handing him the toby half of the photo um and then he kind of like gets up to go and she very um very quickly rips the half of the picture that's her picture um into little bits because spencer in this moment completely wants to destroy herself she wants to be obliterated she can't even stand to look at herself, um, especially a version of herself that was happy and in love and naive um, and didn't know about the Tobey of it all um, because she 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 hates that version of herself right now. She she hates that girl and um, believes that she should be destroyed. Yeah, this is another really rough Spencer scene. Uh, she rips yeah. up the picture into tiny pieces and then she crumples them in her fist like she just wants to like crush them uh to powder and it's just again spencer needs help like she is like crying out for help and like where are her parents like in the scene where she was on the steps of the hastings house texting for this arrangement she had like a glass of whiskey next to her so like she's not even you know she's not even like hiding her like you know burgeoning issues with addiction but there's just no one around uh, there's no one around to see them, which is a shame because yeah. I, I mentioned how nice it was to see Veronica mothering her in the last episode. And that was apparently of short duration. And now both of the Hastings parents are just MIA again. Yeah, it's really true. You know, it's, it's interesting because um, my, my sense is that they had not, the writers had not really um decided at this point you know fully that spencer did have this this history with addiction even though it's definitely there if you're looking for it 
Um, and I feel like, you know, all things being equal, had they decided that at this point, they might have leaned into that a little bit harder with her here. Um, you know, showed her taking pills or possibly snorting them or um, drinking more overtly. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, but yeah, just a really, a really hard, hard, hard scene. For sure. Um, oh, and then the next scene is me. Ah, yeah. um, Ashley and Hannah arrive back home. Uh, Hannah urgently wants to condition her hair, whereas Ashley wants to talk about her daughter underage drinking at the lesbian bar. Is this, Ashley asks, about her exploring a new feeling? <laughs> Hannah declares it was not about ladies' night. She was following Paige because she thought she was meeting Caleb and then tries to explain about their Mona Hayden club she was trying to break up. Ashley is not sure why this required starting a bar fight at the lesbian club, uh, but Hannah says the drink tosser got mad because the girl she was dancing with had bought her the pink drink. Uh, and then Ashley asks my favorite question in the world, what's a pink drink? Is that code for something gay? And once more, Hannah is just so happy that no one is keeping up with all of her machinations. And she's like, no, no. Uh, it's not code for something gay, but Paige was there. She might not be a one-woman kind of girl. Emily's being messed with. She has no idea. Uh, and to all of this nonsense, Ashley has two pieces of advice. Number one, stay out of it. And also, use the hot oil treatment on your hair. The thing that I love most about this scene is that this is how Ashley would handle Hannah coming out. Like, this is the the grace and the the big heartedness and the openness to discussing it uh and i mean i really i swear uh doesn't it seem like maybe just maybe ashley has thought about this before oh totally i mean especially in season five when we get all of those flashbacks to mona and hannah's makeover where it's like super gay and Hannah's like asking Emily what it was like to come out. I mean, you think about this, Ashley or Hannah is asking, yeah, Hannah's asking Emily what it's like to come out. If you think about this, Ashley was like, she was observing all of that. You know, she was observing Mona coming over all the time. She was observing, you know, all of those things. Emily has been staying with Hannah. You know, I think that Ashley probably, um, probably is very prepared for the day that Hannah comes home <laughs> her down and says, mom, I've been exploring a new feeling. Uh, <laughs> totally on board. I, I just love it. And um, I, I, yeah, I, I love that line. What's a pink drink to the point where I don't know if you remember, but I initially pitched that as our podcast name to you. <laughs> And our podcast should be called What's a Pink Drink. And you wisely pointed out that everybody, A, everybody gay was somewhat easier to follow and less of a sort of weird, specific reference. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love that. And I love that later in the series when Hannah is getting married, Ashley wants them to have pink drinks because um, it really feels like Ashley saying, Hannah, are you sure you want to get married to this guy? Mona is right there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a good good time. Um 
I love the scene. I love this between the two of them. Uh, this is this is some good good stuff. It's some really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Um, so Prezra is leaving his apartment with luggage, uh, loading up his car when Arya shows up. Um, of course he's like leaving town without telling her. Like they've made this arrangement to meet up and she has to show up and see him loading his bags into his car. Um, she wants to explain, but he won't really let her, um, saying that he talked to Maggie and she explained everything and he understands that she put Arya in a really tough position. Um, he, she asks if he's okay. He says in the most obnoxious way possible that he doesn't even know how to begin to understand that question. He's about to meet his son. Um, he's leaving, which Arya apparently couldn't gather from seeing all of his suitcases. She seems really shocked when he says that. Um, and he like, he will not even look at her during this scene. He will not offer her anything. Like he, the, their last interaction, he completely blew up at her. He allegedly says that he's, um, you know, not not angry and that he he understands the position that she was put in. But he is like not going to offer her a damn thing. Um, he turns away and cries at one point. Um, he kind of breaks down. Then he says that they'll talk soon and offers her a sort of perfunctory kiss on the forehead. Um, also, her earrings are really, really giant, which I just noticed in this scene. Uh, and then, like, he drives away. And this is a, a sort of a weird ending to this episode. Like, the episode, I mean, we have the A-tag, but the main episode just ends with Arya standing there um, with Prezra having driven away. Which I always think that the last scene of this episode is um, Spencer tearing up the picture of herself. Like, I always And I kind of think that that would be a stronger ending to the episode. Um, I'm not really sure why, like, I feel like they could have switched those two scenes, um, but maybe, I don't know, for whatever reason, it ends with this moment. Yeah, um, well, remember later when... What do you make of this scene? Well, later in the series, we're going to get that, like, uh, it's not exactly a flashback, but it's like this blue insta-filter of Prezra's uh, fictional book about his past with Nicole... Uh, and he talks about oh. how mm -hmm. they got in a fight and then he was really pissy and he took the Jeep and he squealed the tires as he was driving off just so that she would know he was still mad. That's basically yeah. what he's doing right here. Like, that's the exact same move. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's a terrible man, baby. Uh, I wish he were leaving and not coming back. Oh, me too. Me too. Woof. Uh, so, A-tag... Uh, a dollhouse with liar dolls and like freestanding, I don't know if these are bobbleheads or statues. Uh, we see someone in a red coat uh, and the figure takes a blowtorch to the Hannah doll. Yes, yes, yeah, very, um, very, very spooky. Although I don't really like, does Hannah doesn't get like blown up or anything. No, no, I just assume that it's Mona upset that uh, they didn't get to make out while at the lesbian bar or that Hannah danced at the lesbian bar with someone who was not her. Except that that was Mona. We know that exactly. it was. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is out of the, fi of the frying pan into the inferno, which is such a dramatic episode title, but I love it. Um, the next episode is Dead to Me, which 
is um is the episode where like Wes comes back. Um, Hannah starts having suspicions about Caleb's uncle daddy. Um, Emily finally seeks therapy for for having killed that one guy. Um, and Spencer learns more about Tobey. Um, and mm. also Mike. Is that the episode where Jason? No. Is that the episode where Jason falls through the elevator shaft? I don't think so. Uh, I'm not sure. That's coming up though. Yeah, that's that's a funny that's a funny moment. Um, but yes, out of the frying pan into the inferno. Any any final thoughts on this one? Oh, I mean, peak gay, so gay, uh, and and really just a, a, a the Spencer scenes were a little hard to watch, but other than that, this episode was a joy from start to finish. Now, so when you say peak gay, do you feel like the show gets is it a, is it a steady decline of gay after this moment? No, I mean, I feel like this is just we're at the peak for a while, but this is yeah. like. This is like really the the introduction of the peak gay era. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that this continues. I'm going to say like post, maybe post shadow play. Like we're sort of on this peak and we're sort of climbing up, climbing up. And like end of season three is pretty gay. Beginning season four, pretty gay. You know, yeah, I, 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 I think you're right. I think from shadow play... Uh, through Miss Me times 100 is like when it's on the the downslide. And then after that, it really, it really flatlines. It really does. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, but what a time, what a time we're in now. Um, if you have any thoughts on this episode, you can of course send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can check out our Instagram at Everybody A Podcast or send in a rating review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, please let us know if you have thoughts on what you would have said if you saw someone that you had sent a drink to duck walking their way across the floor towards you at the lesbian bar. Yes, or if you have other theories about um, how, how Hannah might have explained her presence there, we would, we would love to hear from you as well. Um, we hope... We hope everybody out there is staying safe and staying home. And um, we're, we're happy to be back again next week. Till then, take, take care. care.